This week's episode of What Happens in the Woods is brought to you by Crimes and Closets Podcast. Crimes and Closets is a true crime podcast hosted by best friends Beth and Christy, who met in North Carolina. Christy has since relocated to St. Louis, but distance hasn't kept these ladies apart. Both of them are married and both are mothers to three kids, so their lives can be pretty crazy. So with wine in hand, they sneak off without the fam and head off to the closet to tell us true crime stories. So if you like a little wine with a true crime, join Beth and Christy every Monday in their closets for a new case. While you're at it, subscribe to their podcast and tell them Olivia sent you. Bye! Hey guys, this is a new podcast called Crimes and Closets. It's just two gals hiding in our closet from our families and all the crazies out there talking true crime with you. So if you're interested in joining us, please find us on Instagram at at Crimes and Closets or on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. We hope to see you soon in the closet. Well, this is it. Season one, episode 10, the finale. We're here. I'm Jessica. I'm the host of What Happens in the Woods. Back with us this week is Bryce, my wonderful husband. Hello. Who enjoys uh, torturing me with all sorts of assorted noises and sounds. That's what she said. (laughs) Don't get us copyright infringement. (laughs) I won't. Um, I just kind of keep asking myself, how did we get here? Whose uh, crazy idea was this? <laughs> um, Excuse me? Yeah. It's all mine. It's all my crazy idea. Yes. Yes. But you were crazy enough to go along with it. Act like I had a choice. You could have said no. <laughs> yeah? You could have said it. Have you tried to say no to you? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this morning we hit over 1,100 downloads. Um, and it was just kind of... I don't know. Mind blowing, I guess, how this momentum is just gathered this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Like everything, everything has really snowballed this month. Um, we want to really give everybody a huge thanks for making that possible. We just have one simple request. Please give us a review on whatever platform you are listening to. Um, it really helps us grow as a podcast and yeah. it gets us out to more people. So we just want to keep that momentum going, even though we're going to take a short break for a couple of months, um, get a new setup, come back with some new stories, new things. Uh, We're not going to be absent, but this particular way of doing the podcast is going to take a little pause for a minute. You have something to add? No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This this is your uh, circus. I let you run it. Okay. All right. Well, buckle up. Cause uh, kids, we got one batshit crazy story that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about today. I'm gonna give a disclaimer here. Um, common sense being what it is, you you guys should know anything related to true crime. Please, you know, if it bothers you, don't listen. But this one specifically is a very disturbing story. Um, so there's abuse of all kinds, 
that almost at some point sounds like something out of a horror movie. This is the kind of shit that you know that happens, but you think, who is capable of doing this? Who would ever do this? So please listen responsibly. If you are upset in any way by physical, mental, emotional abuse, corporal type punishment, child abuse, mental illness, we're going to cover it all. Fair warning. I'm going to get right into it. Am I excused? <laughs> Does any of that bother you? I'll run the I'll run the podcast by myself. Fine. All right. Let's get into it. All right. So I thought it only fair to take a look at female murders or ser- serial killers since most of our episodes have been about men. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So then I found out about Michelle Notek from Raymond, Washington. Michelle and her husband would spend years abusing their children eventually be suspected in three disappearances and possibly responsible in some way, shape or form for four deaths. Okay. Dave Notek, Shirley's third husband would spend 15 years in jail for the murder of Shelley's nephew, Shane and improper disposal of human remains. Shelley is about to be released from prison in 2022 after serving time for second degree murder and manslaughter. And I will tell you why that bothers me so much towards the end of the story, as if you're not going to be able to guess. Okay. So I'm going to recommend a recent book about Michelle that I first heard about while looking for new books to read. And then a friend mentioned the book and how bizarre yet horrible the story was. When I finally read it, I couldn't put it down. Um, The story had me hooked. And as I learned more and more, I became very angry, very frustrated. This woman and everything she touched just went to hell. The lives that she destroyed, the damage done, it's enormous. People were playthings for her. And she enjoyed being the master puppeteer behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. controlling everybody and every fucking thing. At first, I didn't think it was a good fit for the podcast. Honestly, I didn't want to discuss it on here. And I always kind of worry how victims of these crimes would are going to react because their lives are kind of put out there. Yeah. You know, what has been done against them is put out there. It's not something you want to keep reliving. It's not something that you necessarily want everybody to be privy to. Yeah. You know, having this plastered all over the news is, number one, how do you get over it when you're constantly being asked to relive it? And number two, how do you maintain any sense of normalcy in your life once that happens. Here we are, though. We're discussing it. I I have a reason for that. Okay. So there's so much to cover here. Get some snacks. Get cozy. We're going to dive right in. So Michelle, or Shelly, as she was usually called, showed signs very early on that she was controlling, conniving, and destructive. At the age of six, she and one of her younger brothers were sent up from her mom in California to live with their dad and his new wife, in a little town called Battleground, Washington. The youngest brother would come up as well seven years later after their mom died. It's possible that they were abused while they lived with their mom, I would say more than likely, given how each of the children turned out. Um, The mom was a troubled alcoholic who ended up in an abusive relationship, and she was eventually murdered by her boyfriend. She was found dead in a motel, just abandoned. Wow, these kids had a good start. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's, it's really sad. Pretty much as soon as the kids were in Washington, everybody could see that Shelly was a piece of work. Um, if she didn't want to do something, she, she made everybody's life hell. She wasn't going to do it. She became a perpetual liar about any and everything. Didn't matter. Little things, small things, she'd lie. Just lie. 
Um, she even went as far as accusing her dad of raping her at one point. Her real dad? Her real dad. Okay. And uh, she ended up not coming home from school one day. And stepmom, you know, is getting very worried. Like, where the hell is she? She calls the school and they tell her they can't uh, divulge any information, but that Shelly, they know what's been going on to Shelly. And they uh, took her to um, basically the um, authorities okay. and handed her over for investigating her the crimes happening to her, the things happening to her at home. So they have to go pick her up from authorities she is basically saying, my dad's been raping me at this point. She's like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And the family's like, uh, what? What the fuck? They call in their own doctor. He comes and gives her an examination. She's like, he, he said, she's a virgin. She's never been touched. There is nothing, no possible way that she is being sexually abused or raped. Hmm. She never admits that what she did is a lie. Never. Not once. So... While Shelly seemed to come to some of this behavior naturally, um, she really fine-tuned her sadistic skills by watching her grandmother, Anna Watson, at work. So sometimes Shelly would be on the receiving end of her grandma's cruel attacks, but mostly the two were inseparable and they plotted together. She saw how um, firsthand how mean and ugly you could be to people and that they would let you, that nobody would push back, that you could pretty much get away with whatever you wanted because in general, people put up with it. So Anna was abusive to employees at um, the family owned some nursing homes Mm -hmm. and she, there was a couple of ladies that came to her house that worked at that nursing home and also worked in her house as maids and whatever she needed done. There was one time she pissed, uh, got pissed off at one of the the young ladies. She gave her a swirly in the toilet. Grown ass woman gave another grown ass woman a swirly. Who thought that was okay? She thought it was okay. She didn't fucking care. It's it's insane behavior. And yeah, it is. this is what Shelly was taking in. She she lived for it. <laughs> so after the rape accusation, the family tried to get Shelly help by seeing therapists and psychologists. Mm-hmm. N- nothing helped. Um, she didn't see she had a problem. She didn't see her behavior was an issue. The high school in Battleground would not accept her back after that. They said, no, thank you, basically. She's not welcome. It's sure. um, a serious accusation. Well, it is. And and the thing is, you know, to just make that statement and put it out there and, and then not show any remorse for it. Who else would she do that to? Who who would feel comfortable having her as a student in their in their classroom? Because predominantly males at that time, this is, you know, the 60s, 70s, who were teachers. Yeah. So who would feel comfortable having to interact with her in any way? Yeah. Nobody. So then she gets sent down to Oregon to a Catholic school that's run by nuns. Um, her stepmom and dad think, oh, okay, I mean, this is Catholic school. They're going to they're gonna turn her around. The nuns are no nonsense. Yeah. They're, they're going to turn her around. She lasted a year there. She was asked not to come back there either. Oh, wow. That's bad, even if the nuns give up on you. Right? <laughs> Your soul is damned. Shelly ended up on the East Coast with her aunt and uncle, so her dad's sister, um, who she had fed them lies that she had been mistreated, talked about all of her, her stepmom hated her, and just sob story. Mm-hmm. They fed into it. They had no idea. Um, so she went back there to finish high school, and um, honestly, her stepmom and her dad were so relieved to have her gone. 
they didn't even try to stick up for themselves. They were like, oh, she's so, yeah, she'd be much happier with you. You want to take her? Here you go. And uh, family in Washington here, they've, they piled into a truck and a trailer, headed down for the summer to California and went to Disneyland and enjoyed the hell out of themselves without her. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much how they would go about dealing with her is give her what she wanted until she shut up or don't deal with her at all. So then came along husband number one. While Shelly is in Pennsylvania finishing high school, she met Randy Rivardo. They married in 1973. They were both just 19 years old. Her family basically thought, good, she's got a man who's going to handle her, take her, you know. She's not our problem anymore. Exactly. Now maybe she's going to be happy and she'll quote making everybody so miserable. They bent over backwards, brought him out, gave him a job at the family business, um, set them up in a place to live. Uh, you know, anything to make it look like the the pot was sweet and take her on, they did it. And basically, they feared what she would do if she didn't get her way. And it, it, there's one story that's told that when her dad didn't buy her a car that she wanted, yeah. she faked an overdose of sleeping pills and pain meds. Turned out that she took a little bit of fucking aspirin and was perfectly okay to maintain this lie and get her stomach pumped. That's not pleasant. This is like, that is not a pleasant experience. She did it. Like, that's dedication. Wow. <laughs> that's just the type of thing that she was comfortable doing. Didn't, it didn't do much for her, though. So she then faked a rape, an attack, again, um, by saying an unknown man broke into the mobile home that she and her husband and were living in. Yeah. The sheriff's called out. He figures out pretty quickly that she's lying, that her wounds are self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. And he says she should feel lucky that he's not taking her in on filing false charges against somebody. Still doesn't scare her straight. Jesus. Instead, she complains that it isn't safe for her and never admits to lying about being attacked. Just so that she can move out of the trailer that she was not happy with and her dad would pay for her to have a house. She concocted that story. And about this time, her husband starts kind of thinking, what the fuck did I get into? Yeah. What what is going on? He's not happy. Um, And then she gets pregnant. So their daughter is born in 1975, and everybody just hopes that she will take to motherhood and straighten the fuck out. Obviously, she does not, because we're here discussing the rest of what happened. Oh, yeah. Um, After spending three months after the baby is born at her dad and her stepmom's home, because she refused to take the baby back to a trailer... Yeah. Uh, Randy decided, like he demands, you're coming home. You're coming home with my child. And she does, but it's only to make trouble. So Randy uh, starts getting locked out of the house. Um, he has to sleep in his car. She takes his paycheck and she spends it on whatever she wants. Nothing like important, like food or bills or baby needs. Yeah. Um, and finally he he's done. He's had enough. He has to borrow money for airfare from his family back east to get the hell out. Sadly, that meant leaving his daughter as well. So shortly after that, Shelly goes MIA. Um, At one point, some random family member called her stepmom, who they were in Vancouver, told her to come and get the baby. She said Shelly was gone. No one knew where she was and nobody knew when she was coming back. So she just left the baby? She left the baby with some random family members like distant family members, probably wow. cousins. And then, and, and the stepmom was absolutely adored her, her granddaughter couldn't be happier to take her in. Yeah. 
After a year, Shelly shows up and gathered her daughter, daughter like nothing happened. There's more lies, more drama. And then new husband number two, Danny Long, comes along. They marry in 1978. And just a couple months later, they welcomed a baby girl. So they had no idea where she disappeared to? Nope. She won't even talk about it. She won't discuss it. She's gone for a year or so, comes back, takes takes her daughter, and that's that. Wow. Yeah. Um. I The stepmom was about to file for custody for her. And because she'd been raising her, they hadn't been able to, to reach Shelly. So she had actually started the process to be able to adopt, her, adopt her. Yeah. Okay. And then Shelly maybe got word of that. She's yeah. very conniving, very, I don't know. She almost had like a sixth sense about things when they were, when they were going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So she gets married to Danny Long. Their relationship lasts a few years. Um, it's very violent and abusive. Danny didn't put up with Shelly's behavior. You would think that she would kind of get hip to that and calm the fuck down, but it only led to more fights. She was not giving up control. She just mm. wasn't. By 1983, she was done. She asked her dad for money to file for divorce. Mm-hmm. She moved on to husband number three, Dave Notek, who unfortunately he became an unwilling, unknowing, poor sap of a man um, and an accomplice to the rest of the story. So Dave and Shelly met at a bar in 1982, and he was just instantly taken with her. She is often referred to as a very striking, beautiful woman, Mm -hmm. and she definitely used that to her advantage. He felt that he was beneath her, and he just was so over the moon that she would show him any attention. He would do anything for her. He never questioned her, ever. Um, he was kind of shy. He he really didn't think that she would be interested in him, but she, you know, came over, started talking to him. She probably recognized that here's this poor sap who's been staring at me and what can I get him to do? So not long after they started dating, Shelly told uh, Dave that she was battling cancer. Okay. Right. She told him that they had given her a few years more to live at best. And in the book, Dave says, quote, I didn't marry Shell because her kids needed me, but I have to admit that was a pretty big reason behind my wanting to marry her, end quote. Um, he had grown close to the girls yeah. and was worried about what would happen to the girls after Shelly died. Because she told him she by age 30, she'd be dead. So wow. Michelle Watson Rivardo Long was married for a third time in 1987. The uh, new family set themselves up in Dave's hometown of Raymond, Washington, where she would continue to terrorize everybody in her life. Shelly became combative and controlling with Dave. And from what I can tell, like this, he just didn't have him. He didn't have it in him to fight back. He just didn't. His family life growing up had been very mild. And with Shelly, everything was war. Everything. Um, He became at once her fresh victim, but also her enforcer and the abuse that she doled out to everybody else. So Shelly, she just didn't get angry at people. She manipulated, she punished them. She enjoyed every fucking second of it. Her own children were controlled in every way possible to humiliate them and to fuck with their minds so much that they never knew what end was up. When she wasn't playing at being a loving mom, she was coming up with ways to hurt them. They weren't allowed to use the bathroom unless she said so. They weren't allowed to eat unless she said so. 
They couldn't shower or wash their clothes if she didn't feel like she wanted them to. If they made her mad in some imaginary way, she would find ways to break them. And she used Dave to enforce her punishments. They were beat with whatever was handy, telephone cords, kitchen utensils, whips, anything, anything she could find, oftentimes just her bare hands. The kids constantly have bruises and cuts on them, constantly. That was her punishment. That was her punishment for unknown things. They would constantly, you know, she would she would say, look at what you're making me do, which is very typical of, of, of an abuser. Yeah. Look at what you've made me do. I would never do this to you except you made me do this. And they would say, I'm sorry, mom. I, we, I won't do it again. The whole time not fucking knowing what they did. They yeah. had no idea what they oh, even so could have done. Oh, so she's just doing this for fun. Just for fun. Jesus. Yeah. They wouldn't have done anything. In fact, she would instigate shit. So like they would do their homework. It would go missing. They would show up to school and not have homework to give the teacher and turn in. And then they would come home with bad grades and she'd beat the shit out of them. She was the one that stole the homework? She's the one that would take the homework. Jesus. She would find ways to mess with everybody in just all sorts of ways. This is not even where it's bad. That's what's horrible about all of this. And that is why I gave that disclaimer. This is not even where it's bad. Then Shelly came across a new type of punishment. One that would physically and mentally punish the kids. Specifically not a, Nikki. Not a swirly? No, just worse. Uh-oh. Um, She would wake them up in the middle of the night and shove them outside, no matter what the weather, and make them do something ca- that she called, well, the kids called wallow. So while Dave would spray them with outside water hose in the middle of the fucking night, in the middle of winter, whenever, summer, didn't matter. Washington's cold. Yeah, There's really not a time that you're going to have good weather. So he'd be spraying the hose on them while the kids were rolling around on the ground in the, in the mud. Sometimes short, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes hours. Were either one of them in the military? He had been in the military. See, and that sounds like... Um... Uh, series training when they train you to do like if you your plane crashes it's survival evasion resistance education and it's basically if you crash land in a foreign land you you learn you know how to resist like a uh, interrogation well that was kind of the thing i i've heard of of some of like prisoner of war things that you know like the japanese would do or during vietnam um, if U.S. military was was found and, and caught, that they would do that kind of punishment where they would, you know, come out and spray you with heavy water. Yeah. And you'd be, it'd be freezing cold and you'd be naked, basically, um, to try to break you down. And that's exactly what I thought of, too. Um, so, I mean, I just, I mean, just imagine that, though. Your mom comes in the middle of the night. She's screaming at you to strip down and get naked, forces you outside, then makes your stepdad spray you down with a hose. I, this is shit that you don't do to your kids. No. You, you don't. And, and for her to get another adult to follow her lead in is, it's outrageous. It's disgusting. Again, still not some of the worst shit that she does. Okay. So while both of the girls were abused, um, Nikki, the oldest, was the main target for whatever reason. Um, She would be beaten or made to wallow while uh, Samantha, the younger daughter at the time, watched. And she wasn't able to do anything. I mean, this is a little kid. Who's going to who is going to help her step in? Nobody. Both of her her the adults in the house are causing this. What is she going to do to step in? Yeah, she not. 
At one point, there was an entire summer where Nikki was confined to her room. And at one point in the closet, Sammy was only allowed to um, go in and remove the bucket that was given to her to use the bathroom. Oh, God. I was going to say, that better not be the bathroom bucket. Yep, bathroom bucket. Um, And Sammy was only punished being locked in her room for a few days, she said. Nikki was in there the entire fucking summer. I mean, obviously, looking at that, I would say that Shelly was trying to create a rift. The girls weren't allowed to interact whatsoever um, outside of Sammy going in and getting the bucket. I mean, it kind of worked. They admit that they knew what was happening, but they never told anyone. And they almost, you know, tried to work as a team to outsmart Shelly, all the while knowing that, you know, what kind of punishment they could expect if it it was found out. So things kind of came to a head when Nikki was finally let out of the bedroom. She and Sammy in the book describe an incident that may have sobered Shelly up briefly. So while beating and chasing Nikki with a leather strap, the girl was trying to get away from her mom. Shelly was reportedly screaming at her, saying that she was going to beat the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. She gets shoved through the glass kitchen glass door. Oh, um, the sliding glass door? Like an outside kitchen door. Oh, and the poor girl has glass sticking out of her everywhere. Shelly manages to get out a half-hearted sorry. Of course, Nikki doesn't get proper medical care because Shelly is nothing if not cautious about the secret abuse getting found yeah. out. So she would often tell them, our family, quote, our family needs a lot of privacy, end quote. Um, and at this point, the girls have become so good at covering up for their mom that she really probably doesn't think she has anything to worry about. And uh, for a few days after that, Shelly treats Nikki better than she ever has. It doesn't last, but it gives Nikki a sense false of hope that, oh, my mom really does care about me. She really, you know, she loves me. Even Sammy hoped that things would change after that. So then there's a new victim that enters the web. Shane Watson, who is Shelly's nephew, ends up in her and Dave's care at the age of 14. He and Nikki are are just months apart in age. Shelly puts on the show for him. She sets him up to think that he's going to be coming to live with people who love and care for him. And, um, you know, that he's going to, he's, his life so far has been horrible um, because her, her brother, it's her brother's son has been in and out of jail. His mom was an alcoholic and abusive. You know, they're, she's like, Oh no, we really love you. And we want you to come and live with us. And, and it's going to be so much better for you. You you just wait and see. So she got a third person to come in. Yes. So they quickly put him to work. Um, Basically what ends up happening to him is the same physical and mental abuse that Nikki and Sammy were, were enduring. Um, They put him to work doing manual labor around the house. Mm -hmm. So when he wasn't at school, he was outside doing whatever Shelly told him to do. The abuse with the girls continues, but with Shane there, it becomes even more disgusting. So she would make uh, Shane and Nikki wallow together naked. One story related is how they were made to slow dance in front of everybody, even Dave, the dad, nude together in the front room. They're crying, sobbing, and she's laughing and enjoying it the whole fucking time. Another case that, that was talked about, another incident, is that she, um, he, he said something smart. She got pissed off. She bound him with duct tape, um, his hands and his ankles, and applied um, icy hot to his genitals. Wow. Um, so now she's added sexual abuse. And her husband didn't do shit. Didn't do shit. 
So nudity would become a running theme in upcoming events. And again, I would say that this is a way for her to humiliate people, to feel ashamed of what's happening so that they don't want to tell. It's, you know, her way of trying to control the situation. But Shane and Nikki would become allies. They realized that there wasn't any shame in what was being done to them. If it, if there was, it was Shelly. Shelly should be ashamed. So they, it, it didn't stop them from, from being allies, from, from trying to find a way out of this. And how, you know, somebody that had their back, they had each other's back. Yeah. So no matter what bizarre ways Shelly found to punish them, they stuck together. They plotted how they could make an escape. Meanwhile, Dave is just becoming more and more like zombie-like. He goes to work. He hands over his money. He does anything Shelly asks him to do. And he oftentimes does it with no questions asked. Then soon after that, Shelly has a new play toy to fuck with. Um, Her longtime friend and hairstylist, Kathleen Loreno, gets invited to move in with the family when Shelly becomes pregnant with her third daughter in 1988. Um, Kathy had lost her job and her house, and she didn't want to go back to her mom's house. So Shelly completely took advantage of that. Dave really isn't sold on the idea of Kathy coming, but Shelly assures him that it's going to be great for her. She's going to need help with the baby, um, help with the other kids because the kids are just so out of control. And she's still maintaining that she fucking has cancer this whole time. She would put white makeup on her face and shave her eyebrows. She had this man dropping her off for eight hour chemo appointments where he would sit in the car for eight hours while she was God knows where doing God knows what. Holy shit. And he won't believe that this could be fake. He just won't. At one point, her step, Shelly's stepmom, um, tries to call her on the BS. She's run, you know, she's, uh, run care homes that the family had owned. Mm -hmm. She knows medical professionals she knows the cancer does not prolong that way. You don't do chemo that way. Yeah. Radiation is not administered that way. There's no eight-hour appointments that are going to happen. Yeah. And she tries to tell Dave this. Just question her. Have you seen bills from you know the doctors? Have has your insurance sent you anything? Yeah. Um, what is she doing for eight hours? Have you asked to come in with her? He says, Oh no, no, no. She just, she's embarrassed. She doesn't want me to see her like that. Doesn't completely just completely ignores any other reasonable thought. Yeah. And and won't won't admit that it's probably bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Kathy is just so grateful that mm-hmm. Shelly is, you know, giving her this place to stay. Um, you know, it and she she latches on in this weird way to Shelly she'll do anything it's just like Dave she'll do anything that Shelly tells her to do so Kathy ends up pretty much a maid of all trades she watches the kids she cleans the house she cooks the food she takes care of the supposedly cancer ridden Shelly who likes to sit and watch TV all fucking night and sleep all day and slowly but surely she is being mentally and physically abused and unfortunately nobody speaks up um, the kids see it happening and they are so relieved that the heat is off of them. Yeah. They don't say anything. Yeah. That sucks because I know that they're just relieved that it's not them. I knew right. this would happen. Yeah. And, but did they say how old the hair stylist dresser was? Oh, she was a grown adult. She was in her thirties. Oh, wow. Yeah. She should know better. She should have known better too. Yeah. And like, fuck this. I'm out. Exactly. Or I would have punched her. 
Well, yeah, but but that's the thing, you know, not not everybody has that, I don't know, fortitude of their just their their basic spirit of their soul, you know, to to not put up with abuse, to recognize that that is unwarranted and that it's crazy. you you don't deserve that. It's just crazy. It is crazy. It's it's crazy. And that's why I say there was definitely mental issues. She found people who were easy prey. She was good at reeling them in and making, you know, spinning everything. She was just a mastermind when it came to that. Truly psychopathic. Wow. So, yeah, the kids, they feel sorry for Kathy. They they want her to stick up for herself. But they also know that at the same point, Shelly's going to fuck with all of them if anybody crosses her. So what do you do? You know, you're your child. What do you do? Yeah. yeah, it's hard to read the book because the spiral that Kathy goes down uh, because of the abuse is it's horrible. She's been isolated from her family. Shelly made sure that, you know, no ties were served. Contact. Yeah, ties were, were definitely severed and she's made her a plaything to to abuse. And the kids uh, and Dave are made to feel like they had to go along with it. Dave is struggling at that point to feed three adults and four kids in the house. He's the only one working. Yeah. Um, so he's never home. And when he does come home, all he wants is peace. So he he's very easily led astray into whatever Shelly tells him to do. And there's just, there is nobody stopping her. No one. So at this point, this is where it becomes graphic and hard to hear. So I apologize, but I'm, I'm not going to shy away from what um, what I'm about to say. Um, for a good reason, and I will discuss it at the end. So these are the things that Shelly is accused of doing, and how, um, and because of how she does her plea deal, and it goes, it makes her plea. You know, the charges go down. Yeah, it's only accusations. So keep that in mind. To this day, Shelly has never responded in an affirmative or a negative of what she's done, other than to say a few things that I'll get into the, at the end. So these are accusations that the children give in a report to the police later on. Okay. So at first it's little things. Uh, Shelly accuses Kathy of sleepwalking nude around the house or getting into the fridge and eating all of the food. Um, She's forcing Kathy to take unknown pills that the kids later find out some of them are Prozac. Who knows what else she gave her. Kathy's things start getting taken away from her. So she came with furniture. She came with books. She came with, you know, her clothing. She came with some items that were her personal items. Yeah. Um, they start getting taken away as punishment. Next thing you know, grown ass woman. Yeah. Next thing you know, her clothes are being taken away. Eventually Kathy is being made to work around the house naked. And as with the kids, she can't use the bathroom or the shower on her own. What? Towards the end of um, her life, a bath would consist of being duct taped and bound while outside the hose was sprayed on her and bleach poured on her body. What the fuck? The abuse gets so bad that eventually Kathy loses 100 pounds over the course of a couple of years. She starts to lose her teeth. She loses her hair. Her personality changes completely. She became um, she becomes so weak that she can barely move. She crawls from room to room. Her personality is just, it's gone. She is not herself. Shelly makes the kids and Dave actively participate in kicking and hitting her. Dave had steel-toed work boots that she would make Dave and Shane kick her with in the head, in the body. She's given spoiled food to eat and punished in horrible ways like being made to slide down a hillside, 
covered with snow while naked over and over again until it was running red with blood from her backside. The kids saw this happen in the middle of the night. They actually waterboard her one time. And I mean, stuck her to a board and dunked her head in water. Yeah. That went on for about 10 minutes. Dave and Shelly, well, Shelly, made Dave fashion a waterboard out of shit in the backyard. And then they told Nikki and Shane to go keep watch to make sure that none of the neighbors heard her screaming. What the fuck? Shelly claims to everybody that they need to help Kathy get better. Better from what? I have no fucking clue. Yeah, it's her her professional medical opinion. Right. Her self-diagnosed cancer. Again, a grown-ass man doesn't see anything wrong with this. Just kills me. Yeah. He fucking went along with it. So at one point in 1991, Kathy's family tries to get in contact with her, but Shelly feeds them some bullshit story about Kathy running off with this fictitious truck driving boyfriend. And they, they don't have any way to get a hold of her. They have no way to try to see what's going on. Every time they would, you know, try to get in contact, call, Shelly would say she wasn't there. They would come over to the house. Kathy was being hidden away. Jesus. They couldn't, they couldn't find her. Well, she probably couldn't crawl to the door. Well, exactly. She was very easily forced to do things. She's being drugged. She's being, it's malnourished. She's being abused. She, she probably didn't know what day it was for most of her time at that house. Of course, her health declined and she started to fade away. Um, Dave claims at one point, he was like, Shelly, we got to get medical care for Kathy. Um, It's, you know, this just doesn't feel right. It's not sitting right with me. Shelly was like, I'm helping her get better, but we can't tell anybody because they're going to think we've, we've abused her and that's going to break up our family. Yeah. I, I mean, I call BS on him trying to do that. That's yeah. him later on coming back and, and thinking, oh yeah, I guess I should have said that. No, I call BS on that. You didn't fucking care. You were a contributor to what happened to her, to oh, yeah. her torture. You didn't fucking care at all. Nope. So unfortunately it wasn't that long before her body had been abused that it just gave out. So on a warm summer day in 1994, Kathy passed away as a result of all the trauma that her body had sustained. She literally choked on her own vomit. As Dave tried to perform CPR and clear her airway, they didn't call 911 and they didn't notify anybody that she died. So she died alone. Yeah. With these fucking horrible people. Yeah. Um, they sent the kids out of town to a hotel for a couple of days while they got a plan together. By themselves? Yep. And they didn't run away? No. That's the thing. They had the opportunity. They stayed there. Um, Dave built his own type of crematorium in the backyard with like tin roofing sheets and built a fire for days that he kept burning. Burned Kathy's body, burned all of her belongings, and then filled buckets with her remains and took them to the beach to dump. Just tried to uh, burn her out of existence, basically. Basically. Um, They later took a backhoe to the piece of land in the backyard where he had burned her and planted a garden. So they realized, of course, they needed a cover story. So Shelly brought up her lie to Kathy's family about the boyfriend and started to get everybody to repeat the lie until she was satisfied that they could repeat it convincingly. So she would randomly like come up to the kids. Where's Kathy at? She's with her boyfriend, Rocky. And what does he do? He's a truck driver. And where did they go? We think they went to California. 
And she would make them repeat it over and over and over again until she was satisfied that if somebody asked them, they would answer convincingly. Hmm. And unfortunately, you know, you start to repeat something long enough, you start to believe it. Oh, yeah. So she made threats to the kids, of course, if they didn't do well enough. Um, She said at one point she would pin it on Shane, that Shane had abused her and killed her. And she was perfectly fine to set him up for it. Jesus. Um, She figured he was kind of the most likely out of the group to to be the loose cannon and tell. And um, at one point, somehow he got pictures. He took pictures of Kathy, of her body. Yeah. And there's also when they would go back and investigate the house, there was a, a on one, like one of those Kodak, I don't know, ready disposable cameras, disposable cameras. cameras. Yeah. There was a picture of um, Kathy before she passed away, uh, kind of crawling up the stairs Oh wow. that was mixed in a bunch of other photos. Yeah. So Shelly finds out that he took Polaroids of Uh Kathy's body. And in 1995, Shane was gone. Gone? Shelly and Dave told the girls and everyone else that he had run away to Alaska to work on a fishing boat in Kodiak. (laughs) Shelly even forged letters to him or to herself from him. From him. And sent gifts along with them. No one thought, I mean, it's, it's obviously BS. Nobody bought it. Yeah. But nobody really wanted to think about what had happened to him. Nikki herself was just, uh, you know, beside herself. My mom wouldn't do anything to him. She wouldn't have done anything to him. Maybe he really had had enough and he ran away and he's going to come back and get me. Because that's what they had decided. That's their pact. If he got away, he would figure out a way to come back and get Nikki. He never came back. We know, sadly, that he was murdered by Dave Notek at Shelley's request and his body was disposed of in the same manner as Kathy's had been. So he just burned him out of existence too. Yep. Um, so with Kathy and Shane gone now, the abuse picked back up for Nikki. Finally, for whatever reason, she had had enough and she started to fight back. Good. Eventually, she left the house right after high school and went to live with Dave's sister, whom she barely knew. I mean, they were kept so isolated from all of their family. Yeah. But she was happy. She was out and I can only imagine the guilt that she felt for leaving, for leaving her sisters and you know, the guilt of being happy to be free. Yeah. But she was able to put her life together and she was working. She was, you know, leading a good life and Mm. she was away from Shelly. Eventually Nikki and Sammy meet up at their grandma's. Mm-hmm. So Shelly's stepmom and they're able to gain some perspective on their lives with Nikki gone. The abuse then focused on Sammy. Yeah. Um, but Sammy knew that she can kind of turn the situation into her advantage. And after she graduated high school, a deal was struck that Sammy would go. She would return back home. Yeah. If Shelly got her college paperwork filled out because they had missed the deadline for it to be filled out so they could get financial aid or whatever. Yeah. Um, Sammy said, if you work that out for me, I will come back and I won't tell anybody about Kathy. So she threatened her and it worked. Mm-hmm. Shelly, Shelly did get that done and Sammy end, ends up going to college. Meanwhile, she picked up the cancer card again and shaving oh, her eyebrows. Oh, Jesus. This is years later. She's like, I still have cancer. 10 years later. Right. And this time though, Dave is the only one who sees it for what it is, a complete sham. He's yeah. still, he still just can't. I don't know. He's probably recessed to this part in your brain where you yeah. just, you, you don't care what the truth is. Yeah. You, you just can't handle it. Full control too. Yeah. 
Um, she also would, Shelly would also go on to claim that she had been diagnosed with lupus and later an ovarian cyst that required major surgery, none of which was true. I was going to say, where are the bills? Right. Dave just, he didn't see a lot of things and he, he didn't want to. So Shelly is busy spending money that they don't have left and right. She's taking out payday loans. She's, you know, Jesus. buying new cars. She's like writing checks that can't be cashed and ends up in trouble with the law. They, you know, and she works her way out of it. She talks her way out of it every time. Meanwhile, he's working pretty much day and night to provide her with a paycheck. And it's just never enough. She constantly tells him that he doesn't love her enough and how worthless he is. And he's just, he's completely broken. So he worked in gig Harbor and he would just not come home because he him. didn't want to deal with her. Good for him. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, I'm sure he was happier during that time, but he also was living with the guilt of what they did to Kathy and Shane. He didn't have any money because he sent it all to her and yeah. he didn't see his daughter. So their youngest daughter, Tori, he didn't, he didn't see her for a year because wow. he stayed away. Tori. But, yeah. He's a fucking willing participant. So exactly. I give two shits. Yeah. No, I, I definitely don't feel bad for him. Tori wanted her dad to come home. But she also knew that when he was there, Shelly would do nothing but berate him and it, the two would fight. And yeah. it was just, it was miserable. Meanwhile, Shelly kind of realizes that she's losing control. Nikki wouldn't contact her, wouldn't have anything to do with her. Yeah. So she was constantly worried. Did Nikki tell somebody something? And, you know, she knew that it, it would be bad yeah. if Nikki said anything because she was the oldest. She knew the most. Yep. If Sammy was out from under her thumb as well, there was no telling what could happen. And that left Tori, who was only six years old when Nikki left. God damn it. She would become the sole recipient of Shelly's abuse for yeah. quite a bit of time. Yeah, because dad's not there and right. all the kids are gone and even the Kathy's gone. Right. Shelly would torture her in ways that she had never done to anybody else. It was more mental and verbal than physical. Yeah, because it never gets, it never recedes. It's always more. Right. Like they find new ways. Exactly. Yeah. And she would say that she never was really like the same punishment was not administered twice. She would just find new ways to do shit. And, and pretty early on, Tori learned that if she told anybody, the abuse would get worse. So at one point she had told a, a friend's mom that she had been beaten and the, the mom actually confronted Shelly and Shelly in turn beat the living shit out of her even worse. Which is crazy because I don't even know how her mom let her have friends. It, if she was that so controlling, like you know Nikki, what I mean? Well, Nikki didn't have friends. Nikki was very isolated. Sammy, yeah. because she, when Nikki and Shane were there, Sammy was allowed to have life. For a little bit, Tori was allowed to have somewhat of a life. And it, it just, it, nothing got better though. Nothing. So in 1999, Shelly brings home her third victim, Ron Woodworth. And just as Kathy, Ron was down on his luck and he needed a place to stay. And he recently had broken up with his long-term boyfriend, lost his job, and he was just, he was at a low point in his life. Yeah. They had met through Shelly's job. She finally managed to get a job. Who the fuck hired her for, okay, she worked for Olympic Area Agency on Aging. She worked with elderly people as a caseworker. When she was an abusive person, she was looking and in investigating into abuse of elderly people. Wow. Yeah. So Ron was easy prey for her. She she had this down. So the verbal abuse was quick to start. Tori said within two weeks, the verbal abuse started. She would um, call him a fag, tell him how disgusting he was. And she pretty much picked right up where things came to an end for Kathy. She began drugging him, limiting his food, 
He would be beaten. His clothes were taken away. He had started out in a bedroom, but then the bed was taken away. He was uh, eventually, he would sleep on the floor in the computer room under the desk. He lost bathroom privileges um, and he was made to do yard work from dawn to dusk. She would demand that he jump off of high places over and over again. This is a man who's in his 50s and he would jump off the roof. Dave was there, saw him do it. And Shelly would say, go do it again. What the fuck and is he wrong would say, please stop. Like, please, I don't want to. And she would say, you're disgusting. I won't have you being a fag in my house. Go do this again. It's unreal where her mind was at this point. I, I don't, I yeah. don't understand. So again, he's made to do these things until he's bruised and bloody. Um, at one point he had, his the bottom of his feet were so wounded yeah. that she to help him and to to help him heal she ended up uh pouring bleach from a bottle and spraying him down with cold water and then dunking his feet in um boiled hot water afterwards are you fucking kidding me no i'm not so he couldn't walk mm. she would wrap his feet in these gauze bandages but yeah. every time she did it essentially she was boiling off his skin yeah during the abuse, Shelley made sure that Ron was cut off from his family and friends. She obviously was the master of playing sweet and caring and then lying about any and everything. So his family had no idea of what was going on. And she was actually an instigator in like a family feud between him and his mother. He ended up not having any contact with his mom or his, his other family members yeah. for the rest of his life over this, but she did. She remained in contact with them and said, I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to get him into a better place. And I know that he misses you guys, but he's trying to get a job and he's trying to do better. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that he's doing this, but then she would make him write these horrible letters saying mean things to his mom and his brother and send them. And then she would call, she would call her, his family and, you know, say, I know he sent you that, but don't be mean at, don't be mad at him. Don't, it was just complete bullshit. How manipulative is this bitch? Completely. Wow. Ron ended up with nothing and nowhere to go. He did everything that Shelly told him to do. And when Nikki learned that there was a possibility of history repeating itself um, with another person in the house for Shelly to abuse, she got in contact with Sammy and Sammy just didn't want to, she, she didn't want to think that her mom would do it again. So she was like, no, he's fine. I just saw him. He's fine. And she didn't, she just didn't want to believe it. But then she realized when she, there was a mention, Shelly said, well, he keeps losing his shoes. He has no shoes. And Sammy was like, mom, what are you doing? Yeah. He's, he's fine. I'm helping him get better. She knew. She knew. Tori, Nobody gets better with your care. No, no. Tori was also concerned, but she was just kind of too young to know. She didn't know what happened to Kathy. Kathy was murdered when Tor or Tori was just a, a little girl. Yeah. She was just a baby and um, young toddler aged when that happened. She didn't know. She had no idea. So she didn't realize that this is this wasn't the first time that this had, Shelley had done yeah, this. No, the girls knew. The right. older girls knew. Yeah. Tori also didn't realize that because both of the older girls were out of the house, that her abuse was not singular. Her mom made it sound like Nikki was a, a demon child and that Nikki had beat Shelly. Of course. And hit her. She controls the narrative. Right. And then she said, Sammy just abandoned her. 
but she made it sound like their childhood was just plain and nothing ever happened. And that for some reason, Tori was the only one who was, you know, on the receiving end of this abuse, which she has no way of proving. She has no way of proving at all as up until that point, Nikki didn't have any contact with Shelly or any of the family other than her grandmother and Sammy secretly. So Tori was being fed all these lies. She had no idea. Nikki decides to make a report to the sheriff's department and she tells them everything about Kathy. She had suspected that Shane, something had happened to him. But again, it was just, it was so painful. They didn't want to acknowledge it. And there was no proof that anything happened to him. So Pacific County sheriffs claimed they were investigating the matter, but that their hands were tied without proof. I honestly just don't think that they had any idea of how to handle the situation or an investigation or believe it. Cause you're telling me, I can't even believe this. And just like the no, depths that it goes. Right. Unfortunately, it, like, you know, this is a small town and there's, I, I'm sure this is not maybe the first time this has happened, but maybe the first time that some of these officers had ever heard of this yeah. type of thing. And they just, they just didn't know what to do, but they began to feel pressure from outside areas to get some answers for Kathy. Where the hell was she? Her family wanted to know. They yeah. filed a missing persons report. And then another matter would occur. There is a possibility of another victim named James McClintock. He went by Mac. Yeah. He was an elderly man um, that was actually a friend of Kathy's mom. Somehow Shelly and Ron begin taking care of him. And Shelly weaseled her way in and managed to get power of attorney and was left. Um, she was going to be left a little bit of money if when he passed away, like $5,000. And she would get his home after he and his dog passed away. So the, dog, the dog, the dog got it first. His dog, Sissy, um, was a black lab. She was to inherit first. So he has an accident while Ron is taking care of him in 2002. An accident. Quote unquote accident. And he dies leaving the dog in his estate in Shelly's hands. The sheriff don't suspect foul play because Mac was elderly and he had previously fallen and been injured. Yeah. But, and again, there's no proof. You know, he fell out of his wheelchair and he dies. But in the end, Shelly lies about the dog being hit by a car and assumes control of the house and any, any money that Mac had while Ron is just deteriorating before everybody. Sammy is in denial that it's happening Tori is nothing but worried. Dave is never around. And Nikki knows nothing good is going to come from her. But her statement has led to no action. So this is, you know, months later that Nikki gave a statement. Nothing's happened. Wow. Shelly keeps saying they will sell Mac, um, Mac's house. They're going to sell the house. They're going to use the money to move to Gig Harbor so that they can all be a family again and live the good life that they were meant to live. So the sheriff starts to come around and question Shelly about Kathy. And her family never gave up on trying to, you know, find her. And the story about the boyfriend truck driver doesn't sit well with them. It just, it doesn't fit what she would do. Yeah. They also start to question whether the Shelly had a right to Max's estate. They're not sure that she really should have gotten it. So in 2002, a panic Shelly calls Dave in the middle of the night. Ron was dead. He was dead from the months of abuse at her hands and that she needed Dave to come home and clean up the mess again. And this Dumb asshole comes and rescues her again. Jesus. He's still not seeing how destructive she is, still not believing that she did it on purpose, that this was abuse. He buries Ron's body in the backyard the best that he can, and he waits for a burn ban to be lifted so that he can dispose of the body in the way that he did Kathy and Shane. Unbelievable. So they get Tori out of the house so that they can do that. 
by sending her to stay with uh, Sammy in Tacoma, not realizing that this is pretty much what starts the downward spiral of their lives. Uh, while Tori has been fed lie after lie about how Nikki was horrible yeah. um, and was abusive and had no contact with her, Sammy knows better. And Sammy had kept a secret from her mom that she and Nikki were in constant contact. Sammy plans for them to meet up for the sisters to all meet after years of being apart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Nikki had left when she was six. They would be, she was 14 when they would meet up again. It's heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time because Sammy and Nikki learned that Tori is being abused just like they were. Of course. And it's just kind of the final straw. Um, they know they need to do something, but when Nikki has tried to speak with authorities, nothing happened. They asked Tori, you know, can she hold on just a little bit longer so that they could get a game plan together? And she's begrudgingly, she's like, yeah, okay. You know, they're thinking, okay, she's got four more years. Can she last until she's 18? Yeah. And then we can, we can take her. That's not the case at all. When Tori gets home, she's told Ron is gone and that he got a job and left. And she knows it's a lie. Her sisters had told her everything about Kathy yeah. and she, um, they expected that this was going to be the case. And they told her if mom tells you that Ron's gone, don't believe it. He's dead. Yeah. And it broke her heart because she really loved Ron and it was sad for her. It was the same type of thing. She knew that when Ron was there, she wouldn't get abused, but she, she didn't, she just didn't want to see him go through that. Yeah. So Tori calls Sammy who in turn calls Nikki that the shit got bad and Ron's dead. Nikki again goes to the Pacific County Sheriff's with this information. This time it works. CPS shows up the next morning, mm -hmm. removes Tori from the house, while Shelly just looks on in disbelief. She just can't fucking believe it. She keeps saying she doesn't understand why. Uh, what could she have done? She doesn't know what's going on. And nothing has ever happened. Nothing bad's ever happened. She's never even ground Tori for, yeah. for you know, anything. Of course, it's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, she calls Dave. She tells him to come home. Of course. She needs him to fix things again. Right. Well, he fixes things. He shows up the next day and he decides to go down and get information on Tori. Because they've taken her away and they're not telling Shelly anything. He wants his daughter. Yeah. What he ends up doing is breaking down while the police are talking to him, while the sheriffs are talking to him, and he spills out the entire story of Kathy, Shane, and Ron. About fucking time. About fucking time. That is the only thing that he ever did right. So the news of the story begins to circulate, and the girls are forced to relive every moment of their torture and abuse. Every time they see their mom's face on the news, it's everywhere. But it's done. Tori's out of the house. She's safe. Um, Sammy in a couple of weeks after that incident where they take her gets custody of her. So she's with Sammy. Nikki and Sammy finally have answers as to Shane's disappearance mm -hmm. and justice for Dave's and Shelly's crimes is finally going to happen. Good. So Shelly and Dave Notek were arrested and held on multiple million dollar bonds and connections with the deaths of Kathy Loreno, Shane Watson, and Ron Woodworth. In February of 2004, Dave pled guilty to unlawful disposal of human remains and second degree murder of Shane Watson. The story comes out that Shane was out in the pole shed and um, Shelly had said, take care of him. And he shot him in the back of the head with shotgun. Jesus. He was sentenced and served 15 years in prison and was released on parole in 2016. It's not enough. It's not enough. That is unreal that that's what he got. That's it. I'm speechless. Holy shit. Only 
He served 15 years in prison. How did, okay. Yeah. So even, even after her arrest, Shelly Notick is still trying to control things. And even at this point, um, she entered something named an Alfred plea in response to her charges. So basically in this type of plea, you acknowledge that there is enough evidence against you that a jury would likely convict you and that you probably would be found guilty, but you're not actually denying or admitting to the crime. You're only admitting that the jury would likely find you guilty. Um, Unfortunately, investigators knew that they had little to no evidence to prove uh, proved their case of first degree murder. Um, they had no body for Kathy. They had no remains. They had nothing. Ron was so badly abused that they couldn't definitively say what finally killed him. I will repeat that. He was so badly abused. They couldn't decide what one factor led to his death. There was one factor. It well, it her. was her. So it was agreed that she would enter the Alfred plea for the second degree murder for um, for Kathy and manslaughter for mm. Ron. Really? At her sentencing, Kathy went on a tirade of how it wasn't her fault, um, how she failed to keep Kathy safe from Nikki and Shane, who abused her and beat her, um, that she wasn't a bad person. She's not a bad person. She's a fucking horrible person. She's the most disgusting monster. The judge was so disgusted with her that he added five years to the agreed 17 years and sentenced her to 22 in prison. Good. So she is set to be released in 2022 from the woman's correctional facility in Gig Harbor. She finally got to Gig Harbor to live the life that she deserved. <laughs> yes. I was just going to say that. Sorry. She is still claiming she has cancer. How? Don't fucking know. She still maintains that she did nothing wrong. She even tried to say she didn't understand what she was doing when she entered the Alfred plea and that her, her lawyers basically coerced her to do it. But she had a lawyer. But she had a lawyer. Sammy was the only one in the family who's been in contact with her for a little bit, but she realized that all Shelly was doing was manipulating her. She would ask her to send her like expensive lingerie or, um, you know, just all sorts of shit. Like, Oh, I need this because I can't get it in here. Um, can you help me? And Sammy finally had enough. She was like, no, no more. Nikki has nothing to do with Dave or Shelly to this day. She won't have anything to do with them. She refuses. I don't blame her. Um, Tori and Sammy do stay in contact with Dave, who is working, I think, in Oregon at some fish shelling plant or some some shit. And it's said that he's just a shell of a man. I don't fucking care. I I don't care. I don't care either. I'm sorry. You knew what was going on. You had a voice that could have stopped it. And you had the authority that could have stopped it as an adult in the house. You could have stopped it. But you waited. But you waited until it, yeah. it was out of your control. Yeah, the third one? Right. Question mark? Right. Um, and that's all we know about the crimes that Shelly Notek was accused of. There's quite possibly much more that she could and would have done. I'm sure there is. Yeah. That we don't even know about, that her children don't know about, that her, her husband will never talk about. Um, because he, I'm sure, lives in fear of the day when she's going to be released. What's going to happen? Her kids certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. So I cried quite a few times when reading this book. Um, There were a few times that I stopped and I didn't think I'd pick it back back up. Yeah. But in the end, um, I needed to know that she was caught. I needed to know that there was something good that would happen for these people. So I finished it. 
on the last page, the writer gives his acknowledgments. And I read something that really changed my mind about, you know, discussing this. Mm-hmm. So again, this is the book. So it's called, if you tell a story, a true story of murder, family secrets, and the unbreakable bond of sisterhood. It's written by Greg Olson quote, I haven't written a true crime book in many years. So people ask why this book? Why now? Shelley Notick occupies a kind of strange space in the annals of true crime. Everything she did was an action of a monster. So horrific, so cruel, and yet so unknown. She skated under the radar with the passage of time and the Alfred plea. There was no sensational trial, no real public airing of all she had done. Nikki, Sammy, and Tori wanted the world to know what their mother had done. It's a warning to the vulnerable that will cross her path when she is finally released. All worried that she'll do it again, end quote. And I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. This story is meant to be told. It's something that's been put out into the world so that people who are being abused know that what is done to them is wrong. Yeah. And that people need to be held accountable. And obviously I'm very emotional about it because this woman is sitting in prison and she's going to be released and it's, it's not enough. I think what makes it worse is that she's not copying to anything that she didn't do anything. Right. Why am I here? Right. Even though we all know the years of abuse that, yeah, she's truly a monster and she's going to be set free in two years. Right. I hope not. I, I just don't think that there's anything they can do about it. And she, she's done this plea and she can't be retried. So, yeah, it was, it was rough. It was rough to read, but I think it was, is important to pass the story along. Yeah, it definitely is. Because there are people out there like that. We don't want to admit it. Who would think who's going to do this? It, It happens. So I strongly urge if you notice things, if you notice, you know, if you're a teacher and you notice that kids come in the same clothes day after day to school. There's something going on. Yeah. If you notice that they shy away from, you know, interactions with their peers, there's something going on. If you see people out in public that, you know, that somebody has a control over them and you, you can see that, you know, if you work with somebody who, who is constantly in control of other people's lives, but there's little information given about those other people, there's a reason. There is a reason why secrets are kept like that, why people don't interact with other people, why people, you know, who are constantly controlling a situation and you, you don't really get any information from them about their lives outside of what they do at a place of business or whatever. There's a reason something is going on and it it's once we, as a society say that we won't put up with this then we can finally, you know, let these people heal. They can get help. We have to, I don't, I'm not saying call CPS on everybody because, you know, somebody ran into the store and they left their kid in the car. Yeah, that's not okay. Yeah. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this level of secrecy that has signs that people don't want to acknowledge. And I just felt that this was, that was why I needed to discuss it. It was horrible. It's a horrible case. The yeah. abuse was horrible. 
but there are people that are out there that do it and they need to be stopped. It's just those monsters in the shadows that we don't ever get to see. I think this is one of the reasons why we are into true crime is because these are monsters in the shadows that we don't see. Yeah, for sure. And then the stories of how it unfolds, I think that fascinates a lot of people. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's a horrible story. It's horrible. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, this is what our curiosity is about for fans of true crime. They love this kind of stuff, but I don't understand how we still think that these people don't exist. No, they, they absolutely exist. So she's real. She's a monster. And I have no doubt that even now she's like six in her sixties, still capable of doing whatever oh, yeah. she wants to somebody. Oh, she'll still do it. Mm-hmm. You watch. Yeah. I have no doubt. Especially if she gets out in twenty in twenty two. Right. That'll be something to follow. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, I I always look at what why do people do this? Why why does why does this happen? Why yeah. why do people do this? And that's usually my first question is why? I d I don't understand. No. But it's never Oh, I didn't believe that this doesn't happen. Oh, no, I fully know this happens. People are evil. People are sick and disturbed. Some people. Some people. (laughs) Not everybody. No, not everybody. But there are people out there. This happens. Yeah. Yeah. And this story, as much as we would like to think that this story that these girls have put forth is, is unique and isolated... I bet that there are hundreds or thousands even alone in Washington state of yep. this type of abuse. So it's hard to end the season with this story, yeah. but it was heavy. Um, I'm excited to do more in season two. We're still going to have what the fuck Wednesdays. That's going to start taking over pretty soon. So um, more, you know, what in the hell's going on in the news, weird stories, um, that's going to be going on for a little bit. So be on the lookout for that. We'll get everybody notifications. Um, please stay up to date with our Facebook, with our Instagram, the website. Um, I'm still really bad at Twitter, but I, I'm going to download it on my phone, damn it. And I'm going <laughs> to update it. Uh-huh. I'm going to do it. I am. Uh-huh. Yeah, just just find us on, uh, on our website, www.whathappensinthewoods.com. And you can get to any of the social platforms that we have, social media platforms that we have. Also, while we're on break, we're actually opening up a Discord server. So we're not going to be, we want to keep in touch with everyone. So, and all true crime fans. So we'll put that in, in our Instagram or on our website also, how we can, when it will go live and when we, when we will be on too. But we wanted a place to be where true crime fans can go and share stories or even just, you know, if you want to meet up, you can meet up. But um, we're going to be in there during our break. And like I said, we may, we've talked about even shortening our break just so that we don't lose you guys. Yeah, we don't want to lose momentum of, of what we've got going on. And I do need a, a you know, a little bit of a break, but... Um, I'm I, the break is, would primarily only be to research. So, so like I'm, I'm going to want to talk about these things once I research them. That's the thing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's my problem is I'm, I'm like, Oh, I got to discuss that with somebody. Yeah. 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 We're not going away. We're just taking a mini break. 
and and we'll still be around. You can still find us. Yeah. We, uh, to be honest, we didn't think it would be this popular. Like we didn't think oh, we no. would resonate uh, this well with everybody. So, I mean, we're actually excited to get back to season two and who knows, it may not even be season. It just may be what happens in the woods. So we may not even call it season two. We'll see. We may not. I don't know. Yeah, we will see. You never know where life's going to take you. So we've been very happy to put this all together. Like I said, we're very excited to to continue and we want interaction. We want you guys to, to, you know, keep following what we're doing and throw ideas at us. Come, come and chat with us, come in and share whatever you want with us. We're here. But more than important, share it with the world. Again, we'd like you guys to uh, rate. Rate us on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Ratings would help us a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yes. And, and you know, I I don't even, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to get the podcast out there more. And, you know, the more you rate, the more you're, you're searchable, but, uh, or recommended, I should say. I just want to hear what you guys think. Like, I, yeah. I want to hear what you guys think and, and what you feel, what you think, what you, what you want. That's the main thing. So. We're excited too. Season yeah. two is going to be bigger, better, better. So yes. All right. Well, that'll be it. We're signing off. Episode ten. What happens in the woods? Thank you, everybody, for coming Thank and you. take care of each other. Be kind. Stay out of the goddamn woods. Bye. Bye. I can't believe it's not butter.